This is the Executive Dad Podcast. Executive Dad helps working fathers, their families, and their employers to understand what's preventing men from feeling fully fulfilled at home and at work. Executive Dad helps men balance their own needs with what their families and organizations need. Executive Dad builds community. I'm Kenyatta Meadows, and you are essential. Thank you for sharing this podcast and subscribing. While technically there are different types of fires, electrical fires and oil-based fires, generally when putting out a fire, you would aim an extinguisher, for example, at the base of the fire. You would not aim at the flames themselves. You would not aim certainly at the smoke itself. You would aim at the base. Interestingly, when looking at the base of a fire, it is usually pretty clear what the fuel is or what's actually on fire, what's burning. And as you look at the flames, even though it's a source of light, it becomes less clear or less easy to see through it. And as you look even farther away from the source, you get to the smoke, which is more opaque and sometimes even impossible to see through. So the interesting thing is, when seeking clarity it is better to try to get to the source of something and to do so in a, in a timely fashion. I try to remember, and I encourage others to do, to do this, to not react to reactions, but stay focused on the source. I think Kanye West, in one of his songs, says something like, while you're looking for where the tissue is, we don't even remember what the issue is, something like that. And whenever I hear that song or that line in that song, I kind of remember this, this quote or this idea of not reacting to the reaction. Unlike most natural fires that will eventually burn themselves out, a figurative fire actually does the opposite. It's one that kind of fuels itself, and in fact, it often grows. And so that's evidence of how we need to definitively, or why we need to definitively put issues to bed, because if they carry on for too long, They actually get blown out of proportion, but then there's also more opportunity for reacting to the reaction. I was thinking about Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet as a classic example. One of the first instances of a family feud that I was aware of, certainly in literature, was the one between the Capulets and the Montagues. And if you think pretty much throughout the whole book, it's a tragedy, of course, and all the way to the end. You see, even at kind of the the most critical part of the book, Romeo and Juliet react to an unfortunate series of reactions, and uh, Shakespeare referred to them as star-crossed lovers, right, who are unfortunate or unlucky. But for us, we can sort of create that kind of misfortune by not remembering to try to address issues at their core and to avoid reacting to the reaction, even though it is extremely easy to do so, right? Any conversation that veers off into one about tone or what you always do or something of that nature, why are you looking at me like that? Which is probably more likely to happen in a personal relationship than a professional one or professional environment, even though I suppose it is possible. That is probably an example of reacting to a reaction. Now, it's interesting because it may be appropriate to respond to something, maybe to help to guide the conversation back to the real issue. It may be necessary to remind the participants or remind the person uh, with whom you're disagreeing or with whom you're discussing that their behavior 
you know, needs to be monitored or that they should kind of take a look at themselves and maintain some self-awareness. But if it becomes obvious that that isn't going to help the situation, if it's only going to fuel the situation, and if that person reacts to your reaction, then it's important to remember to stop that train or train of engagement, maybe take a break and try to revisit the situation. Because generally speaking, nothing good comes out of that type of response that builds on the other thing that moves away from the fundamental issue or becomes intertwined with the issue. Another example, the Hatfields and McCoys, that's another classic example. I think I learned about that just watching cartoons a long, long time ago. It's, It's, again, evidence of how you know, we need to definitively put things to bed. Uh, and we may not even care what happened, you know, between our grandfathers 20 years ago or our forefathers 20 decades ago. All we know is what happened, you know, yesterday and what you plan to do about it today. And again, very little positive comes out of that. One thing to consider here is anger. When we think about heated situations, we think about fires figuratively, we think about anger. And one thing that's interesting, uh, I was doing a lot of research on emotions over the last year. So not super duper recently, but several months ago, certainly I was reading up on the emotions and the basic emotions. Sometimes you'll see that there are six basic emotions. Sometimes they say eight basic emotions, sometimes even more than that. Almost always the number of emotions that are deemed to be negative actually far outweigh the ones that are deemed to be positive, fear, sadness, anger. but. The thought is really, uh, and it's helpful to note, that emotions are really indicators. They're kind of neutral, and, and they're all healthy in their respective ways. Anger is a healthy emotion. We generally think of it as a bad thing. We try to get rid of it. But should we really get rid of anger? Anger is good as long as it's not misdirected. It's informative as long as it's not issued, I guess, or pointed out and, and, and pointed towards people in a disproportionate manner. And it also doesn't need to result in uh, hurtful or painful speech. It doesn't need to result in violence. You can feel that emotion. You can experience it. You can take time away, walk away, or just use, as we say to little kids, use your words, be thoughtful and react in a certain way, but not in a way that is going to fuel hate or heat or anger, create more anger and pain in, in terms of the response. So recognizing that there is, for example, something burning is good. It's ideal to uh, recognize that just as fire has a place, right? It's not only destructive. We use it to cook. We use it to cleanse certain things. Naturally occurring fires in the wilderness kind of get rid of old and dead brush, creating new space. And even some seeds can germinate only once they've been heated up by fire and burned. Sometimes seeds will lay dormant for decades between fires. And then as a result of the fire or subsequently, then that life cycle kind of results in greenery and new life, actually. So anger and fire both serve a purpose, but generally they need to be controlled. In fact, fire departments all around the world use fires, controlled fires, to help to reduce the risk of uncontrolled and even larger fires. So not necessarily a bad thing at all. One thing to consider is the way that we respond at home versus the way we respond at work. So if there is a huge delta, a huge difference between the two, maybe that's something to really consider. 
you know, are you more under control and thoughtful in your speech in the workplace than you are at home? Sometimes I, I can imagine why that would be. You feel a little more natural. You're in your environment. You may also take sometimes the people there for granted. You may feel that you can be more of yourself. You can be your unvarnished self. But maybe the consequence model is a lot different, right? There is no HR to call at home. Maybe somebody calls a family member to complain or friends to complain, which hopefully they also don't do. But the delta between the two should really be examined. Even if there isn't much of a difference between the two, maybe you are not thoughtful in your speech and actions at home or at work, well, that's something to be considered as well. The converse is also true, where we shouldn't just assume that you may be more thoughtful with your words at work and less thoughtful at home. You may actually be using silence as a a kind of a weapon or a kind of aggression at home. Instead of hurtful words, you may just not say anything. Uh, Maybe that's the case at work. Maybe you're very quiet, painfully quiet. Uh, Maybe your quietness and silence, not speaking up when it's appropriate or when it's helpful, that could also be kind of holding you back. Maybe there are things that you should express, disagreements or differences of opinion that you should raise, and you can do so in a productive way. But maybe if you don't do that at work, and you're more willing to do that at home, that's something to consider. Are you more expressive in one environment over another? And again, are you prone to giving people that sort of silent treatment? There's no set way of doing this. There's no set way of diagnosing. Of course, everybody is different in everybody's circumstances. Their environments are all quite different, but it should certainly be considered and thought that comparison should be done. I I definitely have differences in the way that I communicate depending on where I am. And that's definitely food for thought for me. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're equally good. Sometimes they're equally bad, but always worth a consideration and a recalibration as well. The way that you communicate, the things that you communicate, uh, depending on your responsibilities, depending on who it is within the household, your partner, you may not communicate, hopefully would not communicate the same way with your children and vice versa, even though at its core, it should demonstrate thoughtfulness, understanding, patience. It obviously is going to be very challenging at times and very different in the way that we are allowing ourselves to do it and sort of the way that we discipline ourselves in doing it. So at the core, our focus is really required regardless. There needs to be a lot of self-awareness regardless. There needs to be honesty in evaluating yourself and probably a willingness to accept feedback, just as we would hope that we are willing to give it. And also the person who's receiving it is willing to receive it and engage in a thoughtful and helpful dialogue. So whatever it is, we, we certainly don't want to leave things burning or even smoldering because fires can also reignite even days after. Sometimes we hear in the news or read in the news about campfires, and then you discover that somebody three or four days before had tried to put it out and didn't put it out properly. And so the same could be true of these kind of issues. It may not be that we are just sort of reacting to a reaction, but we're allowing issues to smolder or the same is true at work. Maybe today isn't a good time. Maybe this meeting isn't a good time to raise your concern, but maybe do it another day. I've observed that and sometimes done that to great effect. And it's usually allowing people the time and space to be thoughtful and to be self-aware, to be honest, and ideally to be humble. 
But if there's anything to take away from this conversation, I suppose, that we're having, I would say, don't react to the reaction. Executive Dad is community, but you can't have community without unity, and you can't have unity without you.